Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls It's Tara, of course, and as always I'm joined with my ghoul friend Jessica Hello Hello Oh my god, that was so high-pitched, Jesus (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about Carla Faye Tucker Yay! (laughs) Jessica's so excited. Apparently, she kept this one in her pocket for a while and wanted to cover her. And I had no clue until we were looking up a different case and there was nothing. And so I was like, oh, God, panic, panic. She's like, wait, here, this one. (laughs) Well, okay. So the story is I was very, I'm going to tell you later, I was very involved when this happened. Oh. Opinions a shit ton. And then that was in 98. And then my brain put a lot of other things in there, like learning to drive. I just made me feel real old. I'm like, you know, graduate at that point, graduating from middle school in 2000, (laughs) graduating high school, learning to drive, that kind of stuff. And I totally forgot her name. And so I kept like looking, trying to look her up, but like I could only remember parts of it. So I was like, this person that did this and it was all wrong. Mm. And so when we were doing the Judy case... She was mentioned in several articles because it was right around the same time period of like, yeah, of that. And I was like, oh, that's her name. And so then when Tara was like, we had this other case picked that had like half a wiki page and like maybe two articles written about it. And we had just done that with Judy and we didn't want to go down that path. Ken, I was like, what about Carla Faye Tucker? So I'm excited. I'm a little hyped. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into this. So Carla Faye Tucker was born on November 18th, 1959 in Houston, Texas to Carolyn and Larry Tucker. She was the youngest of three. She had two older sisters. So all girls in this family. Carla's parents would end up divorcing when she was 10 and it would come out at this time that Carla was actually not Larry's biological child. Carolyn had been having an affair and got pregnant. Oh, shit. Yes. And then this knowledge came out to Carla, too, as a 10-year-old, which was probably devastating. Right. God. But to say the least, she did have a troubled childhood starting early, even before the divorce. So when Carla was just eight years old, eight years old, which blows my mind what I'm going to tell y'all, because literally this is the age of my daughter. And I'm like, oh, fuck no. She caught her two older sisters smoking weed, and she actually threatened to tell on them to their parents. But instead of protesting, they did something else. Carla said in an interview, and you'll come to see Carla loves interviews, so, you know, we have it straight from her mouth. Mm -hmm. She said, quote, They gave it to me and then said I couldn't tell because I was doing it too. 
So, yes, you heard that right. She started smoking weed at eight years old. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. And flash forward just a couple years later, when Carla is 12, she would have an introduction to more things. She explained, quote, Back then, there was a lot of drugs and sex. My sisters ran around with older people. One of their friends was in a biker club. He came to see my sisters, and when he found out they weren't there, he took me off on his motorcycle. He asked me if I wanted to shoot up some heroin. I think he was going to molest me, but he shot me so full of heroin that I got sick and he wasn't able to do anything. He ended up dropping me off at some apartments. That was the beginning of me shooting dope. Holy shit. And it's also noted on top of that, at age 12 is when she began having sex as well. Poor girl. I know. Like, so fucking rough. Now, once Carla reached 14, she decided to drop out of school. Now, her mother, Carolyn, was a groupie slash sex worker who traveled around following numerous bands, including the Allman Brothers Band, the Marshall Tucker Band, and even the Eagles. Carolyn was also heavily into drugs, so this was a norm for the family, I guess. Well, once Carla left school, she went and traveled with her mom, and this was when Carolyn showed her the ways of the trade, so to speak, and Carla began sex work herself. Which, again, completely tragic. Her mother, who should be protecting her, taking care of her, not introducing her how to get into the sex work field at such a young age. Because literally, 14, she had dropped out of eighth grade. She's not even in high school. She's a little baby still. Like, oh my god. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, therapy can help. I know that in times in my life, I've gone to therapy and currently in therapy just to be able to, you know, deal with some extra stress. It gives you the tools that you need that you don't know that you need. Yeah, no, 100%. If you guys have been around here a minute, you know, mental health is one of those things we preach on top of, you know, justice for our true crime cases. So very, very important to take care of yourself. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating communicating in under 48 hours, which is great since a lot of places right now, especially where I'm at, have long wait lists. Along with that, there is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, and this service is available for clients worldwide. It's super easy. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video calls or phone sessions, so you won't have to sit there in an uncomfortable waiting room. And I know, like, nobody likes a waiting room. Mm -mm. And you can fit it into your workday, so you could take a lunch break and just, like, maybe sit in your car and take it versus having to, like, travel. Exactly. So visit betterhelp.com slash spooked girls. That's better H E L P and join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Because mental health matters, there's a special offer for our three spooked girls listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash spooked girls. That's B E T T E R H E L P.com backslash spooked girls. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. 
The following year, Carla met a man named Stephen Griffith, who was 19, almost 20 at the time, and he was a mechanic. They had met at a park that both of them had ended up separately with their friend groups, where their circles had went to go party, like drink, smoke, that kind of thing. And he said when he saw her from across the way, he just kind of yelled a like, hey, intro type of thing, and they hit it off from there. And so much so that they were married the following year when Carla was 16 and he was 21. This marriage would only last a couple years, though, and he's done some interviews. So in one I was reading, he is quoted saying, We got along fairly well. We fist fought a lot. I've never had men hit me as hard as Carla did. Whenever I went into a bar, I didn't have to worry because she had my back covered. She was tough. End quote. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that was my reaction. It's just knowing how, like, her personality is in 98. You're like, okay. Right, exactly. And besides bar fights, they also enjoyed collecting guns, participating in a motorcycle club they were both in, and playing football without protective gear, quote. So, like, okay, all right. So, like, you know, how most people played football. (laughs) So now, even though they ended up splitting up, he actually had no bad blood with her at all. He said, quote, I saw things in her that no one else did. That girl had so much potential. She could talk to anyone and make them feel at ease. She was charismatic. Even when she was on drugs and could hardly walk, she was beautiful, end quote. He also stated that she was a good wife. They clashed a lot because, as you can assume, chaos with they were both addicted to drugs. So things were rough. But he said, like, you know, she would keep up with the house. She would always make sure I had a lunch for work. Like, he really didn't have anything bad to say about her. She was like 16 and 17. Right, exactly. She's pretty young. Except one day she told Stephen she was leaving to, quote, work out her wild streak. And he said that instantly he became worried that and even told a friend of his that she was going to get killed or kill somebody. Well, if that's not a premonition, I don't know what is. Right? I was like, wow, dude, you were on the fucking money here. And that's not really a spoiler because if there wasn't mm-hmm. a murder or something, we wouldn't be talking about her. <laughs> I know. Sometimes it's like, do we tell them how she killed people? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Now, she had a friend named Sean Dean, and Sean was actually her best friend. And what I read was she actually lived with Sean and Sean's husband, Jerry Lynn Dean, for a while. And Sean and Jerry had a rocky marriage, to say the least. But they ended up introducing Carla to their friend Daniel Ryan Garrett, a.k.a. Danny, when Carla was 21. And the two hit it off. They began dating. They actually moved in together. And Danny was quite a bit older. He was 35 when they met and ran all in the same crowds and everything and also was using drugs and things like that regularly as well. Which will segue us to June 11th, 1983. So this weekend was Carla's sister's birthday celebration. So Carla was there, her sister was there, all of their friends, Danny, all of that stuff. And during said celebration, this included tons of drugs including heroin, cocaine, Valium, weed, alcohol, etc. So, yeah. Well, towards the end of this weekend, the topic of past grudges came up, which I'm like, that's weird, but okay. 
And Carla and Danny were sitting there with their friend James LeBrant while they were having this conversation. At this point, Sean and Jerry had split up, and Carlo is talking about how much she hated how he treated Sean and that they should go to his house and steal the motorcycle he was currently restoring to mess with him. And conveniently, Carla said she found Sean's missing house keys from where he was still living, and, uh, you know, they could go right in, get the motorcycle keys, and dip. So Danny and James are all for it, and they go with Carla to Jerry's. When they arrive, James states that he went looking for the motorcycle while the other two went inside and that he never was inside for this, is what he says. Now, they had assumed he wouldn't be home, which it was about 3 a.m. when they were there. But if he was a party or two, then fair enough, I guess. Mm -hmm. He was there and he wasn't alone. So this caught them off guard. He had actually met a woman named Deborah Thornton at a party earlier that afternoon. And Deborah was married herself. And honestly, I feel it's like, oh, my God, she had only went to that party where she met him because her and her husband got into a fight earlier that day. Right. It's like if that fight hadn't happened, she may not have went there. Right. So heartbreaking. So the two went into Jerry's bedroom and apparently once they saw him, Carla like jumped on top of him. And of course, Jerry's going to be like, what the fuck? And try to defend himself. So he grabbed Carla above her elbows, you know, to protect himself and like try to restrain her. But Danny didn't like this. And he decided the best thing to do was strike him numerous times in the back of the head with a ball peen hammer that he found on the floor. Conveniently found a ball peen hammer just laying on the floor. Right. Well, there was like motorcycle parts and all kinds of shit like all around the apartment, apparently. After this, Danny left the room to carry out said motorcycle parts. Carla didn't help. She actually stayed in the room. And apparently, Jerry was obviously really fucked up after the attack by Danny. And he was said to have started making a gurgling sound because of his blood. Now, apparently, Carla wanted to, quote, stop him from making that noise and then picked up a three-foot pickaxe, which, okay, I'm like, pickaxe, though, that's weird. A hammer, fine, but a pickaxe, what? what? He got some weird shit in his house. Yeah, (laughs) that was laying against the wall, just casual, you know, and she actually began to hit him with it, and Danny re-enters the room and struck Jerry for the final time in the chest. It literally kind of varied what I read. So if you know the exact answer, you can tell me. But some articles said like 28 times. Some said like over 30 times. She went to town on attacking him way insane overkill. So there is a lot of variation in the storytellings with this case because of the fact that like they were so high and a lot of it's being told through Carla. And she doesn't give details. And so it's kind of like information, but also misinformation. Yeah, exactly. So it's hard to say. It's just just know it's a fuck ton. So Carla apparently was just chilling after this happened, you know, and he's dead. After this, I guess Danny decided to continue picking up motorcycle parts and taking them into his car, just being like, doo, doo, doo. And Carla was just chilling and then notices Deborah hiding under the comforter up against the wall, obviously probably cowering in fucking fear because she just heard slash watched this. Mm-hmm. And Carla went after her. And when she swung at her, she grazed her shoulder with the pickaxe. Then they started to kind of like get into a scuffle, like a struggle. But Danny reenters the room and separates them. After this, Carla hits Deborah repeatedly with the pickaxe. And then she hits her one last time and the axe is embedded into her heart. And if all of that isn't enough, 
She later would tell people and testify she experienced multiple intense orgasms with each blow of the pickaxe. I I just fucking can't. I'm going to have some stuff to say about it in a little bit. No, no, please do. Please do. So the next morning, one of Jerry's co-workers who had been waiting for a ride went up to his apartment to be like, uh, what the fuck? Let's go type of thing. And he found their bodies. Right. So obviously police were called and this will now lead us into Jessica's things for us. So basically after this, like obviously they're a little fucked up in the head, right? These two, because what do normal murderers do in this situation? They shut up and they get the fuck out of town. No, no. Our two darling crazy pantses literally went the opposite. They stayed in town. They continued to party. They continued to do drugs. And they just told everyone, let me blah, blah, blah to everyone around me. And Carla, like, I'm going to read some stuff later from an interview she did with Larry King. Because, like, that's how big this got. She literally, like, they would tell everyone. They relived it. And it was not good. Well, flash forward to the beginning of August of 83. The police are like trying to figure out who this is and they kind of get a lead because of the fact that like these two have just spouted their mouths off. People have kind of been like, it's these two, but they got to get someone. So they approach Danny's brother and they put have him put on a wire. And what they do is they have him go in and ask questions about the murder, which those two were gladly like, blah, blah, blah. We killed these people. We did this. And the police busted and arrest them. In September of 1983, both Danny and Carla were indicted for murder and they were going to be tried separately for the crimes. Even though they committed them together, they were going to be tried separately. Carla was charged at first with both Jerry and Deborah's murder. But I want to say that eventually the charges for Deborah would be dropped for both her and for Danny. Oh my God. Right. So yeah, neither were charged with them. So Carla has said many times that her lawyers told her to plead not guilty because if you plead guilty, like that's just it, you're done. And so she pled not guilty and was waiting trial. Well, when this happened, she was in the Harris County Jail and she happened to be out of her cell and went to a Bible ministry, prison ministry program that was there. And they gave her a Bible, which she went back to her cell and read. She recalled later, I didn't know what I was reading before I knew it. I was in the middle of my sale on my knees. I was asking God to forgive me. So Carla becomes a Christian in October of 1983. Just a few short months since she had orgasmic murders before. Ugh. June killed someone, bragged that she had multiple orgasms. October found Jesus. Mm. Sure. Okay. I call that sobering up. So, like I said, she sobers up. And in fact, she would go on to, in 1995, marry the Reverend Dana Lane Brown, who oversaw, mm-hmm. like, the church at her prison. Oh. Maybe not there, but, like, oversaw, a min- like, a prison ministry. And so they got married in, like, a fake wedding. But that's, yeah, just know that. Here's the thing. Most of the time in America, when a woman killer kills, they don't think death penalty. They just don't. I'm sorry. It's a sexist rule. I'm a woman and I'm going to say it's a sexist rule. Because mm-hmm. we all saw the rage in her. Tara talked about it. Yeah. Choppy, choppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... They decided that, you know, the state was going to seek the death penalty against her. And they were damned. Like, why she didn't plead guilty for a plea bargain, I have no fucking clue. Because she also testified against Danny. Right. So she could have, like, used that to get a plea deal and not face 
the death penalty, but she didn't. And so in late 1984, both her and Danny were sentenced to die. Wow. Yeah, they were both going to be executed. Danny, however, did not reach his execution date. He died in 1993 of liver disease. Oh, okay. Mascarla Faye Tucker. She would go to death row at the Mountain View Unit in Texas. So, between 1984 and 1992, she requested a retrial. She was trying to, like, get her life spared because, like, she was saying, I would not have killed people if I was not under influence of drugs. I am sorry. A lot of people have killed under the influence of drugs. Very few people have ever described it as orgasmic. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Ted Bundy. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. All very, very bad people. So you're right there with them. Very, very bad people. Mm Mm-hmm. Would have described it that way. Yep. Anyway. But because of this, because she was a woman, because she committed the murders while she was on drugs, because she was a Christian... Her plea drew the attention of the outside world, including the American conservative people. Christians ate the shit up like no tomorrow, which is, I'll tell you, my we're coming to my part mm. soon. Among the people who were support of her appeal to the state of Texas was the United Nations Commissioner. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the World Council of Churches. Pope John Paul II, the Italian Prime Minister, the U.S. Speaker of House of Representative Newt Gingrich, which is fine, televangelist Pat Robertson of the 700 Club. For those of you who ever had like ABC Family or whatever it is now (laughs) and you turn it on like way too early in the morning and you're like, the fuck is this shit? Pat Robinson, people. My parents loved him. Yeah, either that or like you woke up in the middle of the night, you would like fell asleep with the TV on and it's on at like Mm -hmm. 3 a.m. And you're like, who is this person? It's very scary. <laughs> Talk about hell and death. Like, it's the wrong time to wake up drunk. Like, that drunk. And you're like, I'm, I don't, where am I? Am I, am I in hell? He's talking about hell. Okay. Listen, listen. People talk about waking up to George Lopez in the middle of the night. I remember waking up to the 700 Club just being like, oh, terrified. And what the fuck? Right. <laughs> that is not talked about enough. At least George Lopez was funny. Right. I would be so excited to wake up to that. Another person who was advocating for her plea and her appeal was Ronald Carlson, who was Deborah Thornton's brother. What? Mm -hmm, Because he also felt that she had seen the error of her ways. The warden of Texas Huntsville Prison testified that she was a model prisoner and that after 14 years on death row, she had most likely been reformed. Mm. Carla Faye Tucker had a lot of people on her side. Yeah. Carla Faye became a nationwide sensation. In fact, she was even interviewed by the one Mr., the former great interviewer of our time, Mr. Larry King. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read you several excerpts from their interview, mainly because I love that Larry, like, asks questions really quickly, and so they're not, like, however, the first question he asks is very long. (laughs) King's, I'm going to say King and Tucker, so you know who I'm talking about. Okay. King says, let's go back. You're a very attractive young girl. You're smart. What went wrong? What happened 14 years ago? Tucker says, bad choices. Drugs. King, bad boyfriend? Tucker, that too, yes. And bad choices in boyfriends. King, how old were you? Tucker, I was 23. King, had you had a troubled youth? Tucker, yes. Had a problem growing up? That was King. Tucker, I did. King, like, a lot of drugs, a lot of anger and confusion, no real guidance. I was out of hand and had no guidance at a certain point in my life when I was the most impressionable and probably could have been steered the right way. There wasn't anybody there to steer me. King, where was your mother and father? 
Tucker. My mother was doing drugs and she lived a very wild life. My father had tried up to a certain point, but he had no control. My mother had him under threat if that if he had laid a hand on us or did anything to us, he'd be put in jail. King, so you had no parenting. Tucker, when I was very young, probably up till six or seven. King, what happened that terrible day? And this is what blows my mind. The woman who told everyone with the first month and a half of her killings, I went, Tucker, details of what happened that night, I don't share. I mean, that was the worst night of my life. And I don't know how I feel right now. I don't relive that night. That's because she's changed and found the Lord, Jessica. So that's why. I know. (laughs) So King Asser, do you think it was a different person, Tucker? Yes, it definitely was. So also, Carla was interviewed by several conservative Christian groups, including the 700 clubs. And she would go on there and she'd talk about how God was like, there's like a series called Forevermore. Right. And there's like three videos, excerpts of that on YouTube. And she like, oh my God, this lady, she would talk about how like God would like try her in prison and stuff like this. But she didn't really like the one thing that pisses me off about this is they talk to her like she fucking shoplifted a goddamn candy bar Mm -hmm. at a Safeway. Mm hmm. They're not talking about a woman who took a three and a half foot pickaxe and lodged it into someone's body so many times and then into their chest cavity. Yeah, it blows my damn mind. It blows my mind. And they're like hugging her and like patting Mm -hmm. her hand and just like, oh, I cannot. I cannot. Uh huh. I mean, because this is like when they basically at this point, she has a date, like February 3rd is her Mm -hmm. execution date of 1998. And they're like, we're praying. And like, how do you like they would ask her, like, how do you feel about it? Like what happens? And she doesn't say like, if I die, she says, if he takes me home. And Carla is very calm. She talks about it. Like Mm -hmm. she understands that she did something. She actually alludes to that a little bit later in an interview with Larry. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I want to talk about my experience with Carla Faye Tucker. Because when I was a kid, I grew up in a very penitent. Pentecostal Church of the Assembly of God in Corning, California. I'm just going to say it. And you're there. I grew up in New Life Assembly. And that church really, they talked about this case a lot. It was something that like even our children's pastor was talking to me about. We talked about it. We were really upset about it. Like we we as a church were praying that God would give George W. Bush <laughs> this <laughs> foresight to see that her life needed to be spared because of the fact that like she could do good in prison by helping reform people who could get out of prison and like spread God's word. Like this was something that was talked about a lot during this time. It was a national sensation. Like if you guys know anything, like the town I grew up in it's like very small. There's like under 10,000 people in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very small and it's very conservative. And so this was a talk of my church and probably other churches in town because there's a lot of fucking churches in that town. <laughs> yeah, for being so small, there really is. <laughs> there's a lot of churches and a giant casino and a skate park. Like, welcome to there. And a Taco Bell we went to like every fucking day. <laughs> every day. And Montez's, which is not there anymore, Uh. so my heart is broken, and I just don't ever (laughs) want to go back because of that reason alone. Just saying. It was a it was a Mexican restaurant that Tara and I went to like every chance we could. Like we were like, ooh, we'd be like, is it taco? Do we have Taco Bell money or do we have Montez? Money? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we'd be like, ooh, we have Montez money. Let's go to Montez. <laughs> that was our life. So 
I knew who she was. I remember the day she was executed. And this is going to be really weird. And this is going to, for a lot of you, are going to be like, oh, Jessica, you're that person. <laughs> I was like, grew up, like, I was really into my church. Tara knows this. I was mm-hmm. really into church. The friend that introduced Tara and I, we met because like our grandparents were best friends at church. Right. And there was a part of the children's ministry that I worked in in junior high. Because this is like 19th, February of 1998. I was like sixth grade going into seventh i think mm-hmm. yeah i was seven during that year so yep so basically i remember because my parents were like you have to make a choice in your life right now they had a puppet program at our church where like all of the cool kids in church were part of i'm not fucking kidding you no i believe it i fucking i know how this shit goes i'm sure there's people being like what the yeah. fuck but no i totally yep yeah <laughs> i was a puppeteer guy it was a weird part of my life and i don't talk about ever because it's there is literally PTSD with me in church, guys. Like, Tara can see me right now. Like, I'm pulling up my hoodie because I'm talking about something that's, like, making me sweat. <laughs> so <laughs> I was part of this program. And I remember this day because I remember when my parents were talking to me about it. And they told me, I think it was, like, January 28th. Yeah, it's a little later. Yeah, her appeal was rejected. Mm-hmm. I was standing there and my parents were like, I had, like, two bad newses right in a row, like, really. My parents were like, you have to make a decision. You have to either, A, quit softball or quit some sort of sport or quit puppet team because we don't have time to take you to everything. Mm-hmm. And my older brother had quit puppet team at that point. I know, it sounds so weird. So, like, my parents made me call the children's pastor and tell her. And I was crying because I was upset about that. Aww. And then, like, right before I picked up the phone to tell her, call her, my mom had told me that Carla Faye Tucker had not won her appeal. So I was bawling on the phone to my children's pastor, <laughs> being like... She's like, are you okay? I was like, no, because Carla Faye Tucker is going to be put to death soon. And it's not fair because she loves God. Oh, this my is goodness. legit part of my life, guys. And I was very upset about it. I was very like, wow. Oh, my God. You have no idea. And so it was a very traumatic day. <laughs> and then I remember when she died, like my parents like talked to us about death and like how like things like that happen. And how, you know, God has a plan for all of us. And looking back, I'm like, she fucking killed someone with an axe. Why didn't anyone tell me that? Right. I knew she had killed someone. But the story that I thought I knew for years and why I would Google it wrong is I thought she came home and found her husband in bed. Because I think you and I have talked about this. I was like, it's this woman who's killed her husband and his lover with an axe. And so I would Google like woman who killed her husband with and mistress with an axe and never find it. Mm-hmm. I should have just looked women who kill with axes. That probably would have helped. <laughs> Sometimes changing up your Google searches. But like, and I remember thinking like, well, she had a right. Like she came home. Her husband was in bed with another woman. She was very upset. I don't know how I'd react to that. She just picked up the axe that was in the room. That part I knew, apparently. Apparently I knew there was an axe in the room and that she just killed them and that she was very remorseful (sighs) which is going to lead me into my next part of the larry king interview okay so more larry king king asks both you and your boyfriend participated in the death of both people tucker says yes were you caught right away tucker no it was about a month and a half or a little over a month later king did you leave town tucker no we stayed there We not only stayed there, it was really crazy. Larry, I mean, that was the lifestyle. It was so crazy. I don't think I can explain it to anyone except to me. I was spaced out on drugs all the time and it didn't really seem real. King, did you walk around with any guilt? Tucker, 
No. King. None? Question mark. Tucker, not only didn't I walk around with guilt, I was proud of thinking that I had finally measured up to the big boys. King, your boyfriend was proud of you? Tucker, yes. Isn't that sick? That's crazy. King, no guilt? Question mark. Tucker, none. None back then. I didn't care about anyone. I didn't care about myself. I didn't place any value on myself or anyone else. But bitch, you had a fucking orgasm, if not multiple, while you murdered someone. Mm -hmm. This is why I get heated. The Christian community is going to come for me. I'm okay with this. I have witchy friends. It's fine. (laughs) I will be okay. (laughs) I can take it. I have been abused in churches, so I am used to this. Okay. So, like, she doesn't, she didn't have guilt at the time, but then she found Jesus and now she's sorry, which I get. That's fine. But does that mean she should not be executed? No, she should be. Right. The other question is, which was on everyone's mind, is because she's a woman, should she be executed? Oh my god. Larry King even asked, King, the argument for you gains a great deal of attention because you're a woman. We can dare say if you were a man, you wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be getting a lot of attention unless a lot of prominent people were speaking up for you. Do you think that's true? Now we're going to hear her response. Tucker. I think it's true. This is bringing attention to a lot of people. I think it's very unfortunate, though, because male or female, people need to be considered individually and on their own merits. There's certainly men out there who have drastically changed their lives through the love of God. Jesus has gone down into their hearts and completely changed them, and they have become caring people. They have changed. They are now helping others. They deserve, too, for that to be acknowledged in their lives, too. That's what she said. And now we're going to talk about the faith aspect of it. Larry asks her, he says, you have to explain this to me a little more. It can't just be God. And Tucker says, yes, it can. It's called the joy of the Lord. I don't know when you've done something like what I've done and know you've been forgiven for it. You're loved. That is a way of changing you. I mean, I've experienced real love. I know what real love is. I know what forgiveness is. Even when I did something so horrible. I know that because God forgave me and I accepted what Jesus did on the cross. When I leave here, I'm going to be with him. I have, this is a real triggering thing for me because this is why. And I want us to discuss this. I don't think just because you say you're sorry for something, you shouldn't be held accountable for it. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that Tara and I, at least I do, go back and forth on the death penalty. Because I do think that some cases, they need to look into it. Ted Bundy, fuck yes. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Dahmer, yes. These big names that like circulate in our minds, it's because their crimes were so horrible. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Green River Killer, yes. Other people, no. But I have a hard time with this one. Because it's almost piousness. It's almost, I've become a Christian and I have become better and I should be forgiven and not be executed. But if I am, it's God's will. And that, in my opinion, is a manipulation of faith. Mm -hmm. Because what ends up happening is that you have people out there who start questioning their relationship with God. I do believe in a relationship with God. I've said that several times. I believe in that. Do I believe in organized religion? No, because I've literally been fucked over by it several times. Mm -hmm. Churches are the places where people go get to go get hurt. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. When you have someone like Carla Faye Tucker, who's so prominent and is out there and Like I said earlier, you forget what her fucking crime is. They literally talk up to her and talk about her like she's fucking robbed a convenience store. 
or that she accidentally ran over a child and killed them. Like something that was accidental, you know, like that people would get riled up about like, no, you need to be punished for this, right? She made the choice. I get that there's addicts and I get that, but there are a ton of addicts out there who don't kill people. Mm-hmm. 100%. There are a ton of addicts who shoot up, sit on their couch. They don't make those choices to go out and kill people. So you can't even be like, she was an addict. She needed help. No, she was living a lifestyle where she didn't think that her choices, she thought she was above the law. You know, she was ex, <laughs> she was living in an extra legal system. <laughs> I learned that for <laughs> the Marie Levette. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm now, back then I talked about like how I was devastated on January 28th, 1998 when they rejected her appeal. I was devastated. Today, really glad it was upheld. Mm-hmm. Because Deborah Thornton was a mother. She made one bad mistake where her and her husband had a fight. She left, met a dude, was going to have to deal with that circumstance. And then she was brutally murdered over a motorcycle that supposedly, there's like one story where like Danny supposedly owned the motorcycle and was like mad that he was taking too long. Mm. So that decision, the appeal did not go through. And then a stay, like a stay of execution was put to the Texas governor who the Texas governor at the time was our 43rd president, George W. Bush, (laughs) who I might not agree a lot about it, but I agreed with him on this one. He blocked an 11th hour appeal of her execution. Mm -hmm. So she wrote him a letter. It's very moving. It would have been really hard if I was in his position to really there's a video on youtube where someone reads a letter i'm not gonna read it i've read way too much to you guys today (laughs) so you guys can go there and check it out it definitely talks about how she is sorry for what she's done she talks about how she thinks she can do some good with people and rehabilitating them but that's not the case so she was moved from her mountain view unit in gatesville texas she actually had to be flown to huntsville because they don't have an execution chamber, her prison. So she had to go to the Huntsville unit. So she got to take a plane ride. Her last meal request, because you know we're obsessed with that on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was a banana, a peach, a garden salad with ranch dressing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very weird. I would have, mm. again, I would have swung for the fences here. Yeah, but what else? <laughs> <laughs> she selected four people to watch her die. Because apparently I didn't know that was a thing that you could like pick people to be there. She picked her sister, Carrie, her spouse, obviously Dana Brown, her close friend, Jackie Onkin, Onkin, and then Ronald Carlson, hmm. brother of her murder victim. Yeah. It said that he, at one point in time, Supported the execution, but after her religious conversion, he decided that shouldn't happen because she changed. The witnesses for the murder victim were Thornton's husband, Richard, their only child, William, and then Deborah's stepdaughter, Katie. Her last words were, she's kind of a, oh my God, this woman is like a a talky bitch Mm -hmm. for sure. Her last words were, yes, I would like to say to all of you, the Thornton family and Jerry Dean's family, that I am so sorry. I hope God will give you peace with this. She looked to her husband. I love the person who wrote this because they wrote actually everything. (laughs) She looked to her husband. Baby, I love you. She looked to Ronald Carlson. Ron, give Peggy a hug for me. Then she looked at all present weeping and smiling. Everybody has been so good to me. I love all of you very much. I'm going to be face to face with Jesus now. Warden Baggett, thank you for all you've done. You've been so good to me. I love you all very much. And I will see you all when you get there. I will wait for you. She was executed by lethal injection on February 3rd, 1998. Another hard day in my like 12 year old life. (laughs) 
11-year-old turning 12-year-old life. Mm. It said that as it was being administered, she was praising Jesus. She licked her lips and looked at the ceiling and hummed. Oh, okay. Right. She was pronounced dead at 6.45 p.m. Central Standard Time, eight minutes after receiving the injection. She was buried at the Lake Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. Carla was the first woman to be executed in the state of Texas in 135 years. Wow. The previous one was in the American Civil War. Mm. And she was the second woman to be executed in the United States since the reinstatement of the capital punishment in 1978. 1976. Wow. Right. Now we get to talk about the aftermath. So there were several movies and books made. I'm going to talk about those really quickly. The Evermore that I titled is an actual movie that came out in 2004. And it's about her life. I did not watch it. I didn't want to watch it. Did you watch it? No, I just watched those YouTube videos and I was like, that's enough. (laughs) Right. I was like, no, thank you. There's just there's been like books and other things written on it. But now we get to talk about my other favorite asshole of my life is Tucker Carlson. I don't know if you know who he is, but he is a Fox News correspondent. Oh, okay. I don't like him. Sorry, guys. I think he's an asshole pedo, but that's just me. (laughs) Like, he commented on, like, Miss Teen America, who was 16, about how she'd make a really good wife. Ew. So, yeah. Even if politically we're not aligned, I don't fuck with pedos, guys. So, like... Mm -hmm. Basically, he was coming for Governor Bush, saying that he should have given her a pardon, and that he could have granted clemency on her, but chose not to, and that basically he saying that the decision was made because of Carla and Larry's interview and Carlson actually interviewed Larry about it and read the transcript back to him and had several questions and it was like all weird and just Tucker Carlson is a weird person I follow his cousin on TikTok who like definitely spills tea about how weird he was. So just saying. Interesting. Love TikTok because of all the people who were like, my family, I mean, it's a legend. I don't actually know, but it's like my family member is a famous person. Let me tell you all the weird shit they did as kids. Like (laughs) not sure. Yeah. Anyway. It's also noted that her executioner actually at that point in time had managed about 120 executions Mm. in his life. He actually resigned because he said he's, quote, I was pro-capital punishment after Carla Fay, and after all this, until this day, 11 years later, no, sir. Nobody had the right to take another life. I don't care if it's the law. It's so easy to change the law. Basically, he had a nervous breakdown. Mm. So Carla Fay Tucker died by lethal injection, and I, the thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast is the victims. And the mm. fact that this was one of the, in my mind, it's one of the most formative things I knew as far as murders at 11 years old. And I didn't even know the true story. Yeah. And Ugh. it was so prominent. I should have. And like I said, they treated her like she like, it's all Snickers bar. Like they acted mm-hmm. like she was this, I mean, you can do fucked up things in your past and change, but you're still accountable for it. Yeah. If you go out and commit murder, you should be held accountable. No matter if mm-hmm. a month and a half, three months, four months down the line, you find Jesus, like you need to be held accountable for that. And I am yeah. needing to get off the soapbox or we're going to be here for a while. So I'm going to just be <laughs> like, here, Tara, back over to you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I agree. It was very much like a, oh, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. You have remorse. Let's just move on. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. But on that note, (laughs) we are going to go ahead 
ahead and wrap things up for today. We hope you enjoyed. Please let us know your thoughts, comments, concerns, all that great stuff on this. And as always, thank you all so, so much for supporting the show. We love you all very much. Bye. Bye.